Hi, welcome to Relationship Matters, a mental health podcast where two relational psychotherapists dive into topics that you actually want to know more about. My name is Jason. And I'm Carling. And we're all about improving connections. And enhancing relationships. So welcome, everybody. New month. Here we are again. Carling, how's it going? Good. I'm enjoying the sunshine. It's great to be in the summer months. Lots of outdoors mm-hmm. time. How are you doing, Jason? Just as good. Like it's really great to be able to to have some time to head outside mm-hmm. uh, uh, if you want to. Uh, the only thing, just I don't know about you, but on a personal level, the only thing I don't really appreciate about the summer uh, is how sometimes it can get a little bit humid and muggy and humidity. No, I did. Yeah, I, I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> we could probably do a whole podcast at the crappiness of humidity. I mean, we could. I've got I'm frizzy good. hair in the summer, but you know what? It's about self self acceptance, Jason. It is. It is. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna try to accept the fact that it's humid and see what else I can actually control. I love it. So instead of the shittiness of humidity, what are we talking about today, Jason? Great. So today we're gonna be talking about commitment. Mm. So specifically, uh, how will you know if you are ready and willing to commit to a relationship or even are you ready to be in a relationship if you're not already in one? So I know this is a question that comes uh, out a lot for some people uh, during some of our conversations in session where uh, they're really curious. Let's say they're single right now and then we work through the a breakup and how will I know that I'm ready for a relationship or what are some things that I need to do to work on me and uh, in order to get to that place of us again or uh, on the flip side of things we've been together for a long time this idea of of marriage uh, is there are are we ready for for marriage I, I don't know like they say that they are i might be i might not be they might I, I don't know how do i know so that's what we're talking about exactly i love that you brought up the example of deciding whether or not to marry somebody that's huge because it is a heck of a commitment legally financially emotionally blah 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 right so yeah. definitely see that in in our practice alongside too like am i in a place am i okay to continue the relationship i'm in so not just even the marriage question but also is this okay to continue doing what we're doing right totally. so we are so pumped to talk about this today totally mm-hmm. so Commitment. It's a thing. We all know it. We have all heard about it. We have these ideas and expectations as to what that may look like. Mm-hmm. But let's focus on the issue first, because we we need to have a good understanding as to how, in what ways might this come up, but also what is the actual problem before we step into trying to change or fix anything? Exactly. So, so what's mm-hmm. the problem? What what is What comes up for people in, in the office? What have you seen? Yeah, I've seen a lot of, um, you know, just expectations of I should be ready to make a commitment to somebody. Uh, you know, I should, you know, I'm 32 and mm-hmm. maybe I, I want to have children and just that internal, you know, anticipation of, okay, I need to make a commitment to someone in order to build this family I'm dreaming of, right? And so I think that goes into a lot of not only external expectations that are really put on, we've talked about that before, like put mm-hmm. on us in terms of how we're supposed to conduct our lives relationally, but also mm-hmm. internal is is how do we see relationships fit into our dreams for life, for our own individual life? And what kind of pressure may we be putting on ourselves for that, right? How about mm. you? What do you, what comes up for you in your, in your line of work? I, 
Very similar things. So uh, at the end of the day, where what comes up is this, like this relational script of sorts, mm. where it's it's these expectations that uh, others, whatever that means for others, mm-hmm. have on either the individual or the couple, right? So I think I, I think of things like for an individual, for instance, is thinking of uh, who is this this individual, like what what parts are present for their overall identity in the sense of uh, are we, what's the gender here? Cause there's going to be some expectations mm. based on that. Uh, what's the age? Cause there's going to be expectations based on that. Uh, what's the class? What's the, this, what's the, that to get a bigger picture of who is the individual and then think of where should they be according to my family, my religion, my, this, my, that, Th- mm-hmm. that's the first piece. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think you're highlighting a lot of a lot of things that are really tie into external influences, but also just internally how we make meaning out of our own lives and how we connect with others. Totally. Uh, in addition to that is is what it what is our almost relationship to relationships, okay? And what I mean by that is how do we see them? For some of us, relationships feel, oh, that's amazing. Oh, I love that. And for some of us, it's like, that is scary AF, right? Mm-hmm. And and just our own understanding of ourselves and how maybe comfortable or safe it feels to be to make that commitment to another person or people right totally totally and i think you're you're highlighting an interesting question and i like how you're putting it not to be super meta about it but like your your relationship to relationships right in in the meaning that comes out of those types of conversations which we will definitely touch on uh in in a second but you're highlighting some interesting things there um where we're trying to really expose the meaning behind uh where people are because what we try to do in our line of work is meet people where they are and mm-hmm. not push them where we think that they need to be, right? So when meeting them where they are, you're at external pressures. Great. And equally, let's also expose that where you are might may also include some internal uh, expectations and internalized uh, pressures. Things like uh, if it's not my family pressuring me to do a particular thing, uh, for those who identify as women, I mean, specifically thinking of this idea of my biological clock is ticking. So, I mean, hi, I, I'm, I only have so many good years before. So if we're going to have kids, I mean, shit, we better do this now or else, you know, like I have an expiration date. And I mean, if you think about that, that's, that's a hell of a lot of pressure to be holding on to. You might be speaking something close to home to me, right? As someone who just turned 30 and identifies a woman. And just the idea that uh, medically we're considered geriatric if we're above 35 as, as people who identify as women. And when we're, you know, desiring kids and that how I, I'm speaking to this in like how the in- external pressure gets reinforced by a lot of systems in our world. I mean, just hop on Instagram, depending on what age you are, hopping on Instagram and seeing everyone, you know, having a relationship with a partner and doing the baby making thing and all that. And that can be really like, oh, in order to belong, this is something that I should be really um, trying to quote unquote achieve, right? But hey, I'm not feeling quite ready within myself to make that level of commitment. Or maybe I don't even want to do Mm. that type of thing. So you know, Jason and I explore that with each client and we try our best 
absolutely best not to reinforce any sort of societal external pressures, but more of what is right for you. Totally. Mm -hmm. And let's just be clear for a second. Like, let's take a pause for uh, just same page purposes. Geriatric. Here's what that means. Relating to old people, especially with regard to their health care, um, or it's just talking about an older person in terms of age, yep. right? Yep. So geriatric means senior in some type of way, right? So if you're talking about a geriatric pregnancy, a pregnancy held by a senior person, mm-hmm. and that sense of senior, when we as people talk about senior, we think of a few things that may come to mind, right? I think uh, the first thing, I, I don't know about you, Carly, but for me, the first thing is uh, retirement. Um, and then we're talking about old age security and we're talking about pension. Like that, those are some things that come to mind. And if I had to equate that to a number, which side note is completely arbitrary, uh, it's an arbitrary number, is the age of 65, right? That, that's mm-hmm. That's what comes to mind when it comes to geriatric or a senior population. And now from what you're saying, a senior pregnancy, you like you need to go back in time thirty years in order to get to thirty-five, right? And just the meaning that that gets for for people who identify as women, right? Is like okay if you're trying to have a a child after thirty-five, you're irresponsible or you're uninformed, you're not doing it properly, right? And I, I'm not I'm not taking away that you know, the medical system says there's higher risk, but that there can be social meaning attached to women who don't have kids until they're after 35. And just this idea that you're, you're old, right. And I mean, I could go on a different podcast talking about ageism and gender, but that, that in itself can reinforce some really problematic internal views of self Mm -hmm. related to age and almost pressure. Okay. I need to find a person to make babies with because I'm approaching 35. And does that actually mean you're you're open and willing and okay to make a, a commitment in terms of a relationship partner partnership? Or is it more influenced by external pressure? Right? Totally. So it sounds like there's there's a lot of this this idea of of some of the external variables that help to shape the development of a relationship, some internal variables that help to equally shape that same development of a relationship. Now, in terms of the process of development, so to speak, um, how I start to talk about this in the office with clients is uh, I'm going to loosely talk about this as the ways in which we relate or connect to others. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious, Carling, if if you were working with a client right now, let's say a couple or even an individual, it really doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But if you were working with, with a client um, around the same topic where they, the situation is that they, they're sitting with you, they're starting therapy because uh, they, let's say individually, they just went through a breakup. I really want to be ready for a relationship. Here's some things that I want. So you've done the work of of the meaning, the uh, meaning making, exploring that, reshifting meaning, et cetera. Where do you take this this uh, conversation further in terms of that connection piece, the the readiness for commitment? Where do you go? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, what comes up for me first is is assessing and helping the the client understand what their attachment style is. Mm-hmm. And you know, our listeners may have heard the term attachment before, and we are so pumped to let you all know some more information about attachment. But this is this is the primary, uh, at least the initial piece that I like to explore with clients. And and how I do that is really helping them assess what is their relationship to relationships, kind of what I was speaking about before. How do Mm -hmm. they see, how do they make meaning about relationships and how this is so influenced by our attachment style, okay? Mm -hmm. And just to give you a bit of basic information to set the foundation for this, this piece of our podcast, attachment styles often come from our, uh, our relationship to caregivers when we were young. Right, our relationship to parents or other caregivers, uh, and attachment is really, you know, related to how we were, like what type of dynamic was with our caregivers. Sometimes that can be really healthy, that connection. Sometimes not so much, and how we make meaning out of, uh, you know, the unhealthy dynamics that were with our caregivers, and the the two. um, There's really three three or four different domains of attachment, but there's secure attachment and insecure attachment, right? And we're going to go into more detail about what that means. Does that make sense, Jason? Totally. No, it, it absolutely does. And I, I think it's it's interesting just to to demystify the complexities of clinical work. Here's, here's the deal. Let's just keep it straight and basic and clear. Like there's Love no it. sense of overcomplicating it, right? So you might hear or you might have heard of attachment, like Carling was just saying, or uh, if you're wanting to take it one step further, attachment theory. And here are some things in which that inform attachment theory, blah, 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 <laughs> whatever. Here's what we're talking about when it comes to attachment theory. So once upon a time, there were uh, some scientists, some psychologists who were wanting to look at how do uh, people connect and how do people, in other words, attach to mm-hmm. or build relationships to others? So in this research, you got two prominent figures, right? A little, a little history lesson. So two prominent figures, John Bowlby, Mary Ainsworth. Mm-hmm. Bowlby, B-O-W-L-B-Y. Uh, yep. <laughs> Correct. Yes. Like, right. Spelling B. Got it. <laughs> you won, Jason. <laughs> Yay. Right. So John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth are the two prominent figures for attachment theory. So uh, knowing that all of this is coming from once upon a time, that the main uh, research there is how do babies connect with mom? Because Mm. obviously, who cares about dad? He's he doesn't he's not a really significant player in the game. Uh, He doesn't really matter because, hey, you know what? It's like the 40s uh, onwards. And this is really what matters. 40s, 60s, whatever. Anyways, it's 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 early. Who really cares about dad? He doesn't really do much. Right. So let's worry about baby and mom specifically. And. By baby, I literally mean baby. So in that research, they were able to find that, yeah, no, there are totally different ways in which babies connect with or attach to mom. Um, uh, This whole idea of like mother shaming and so on and so forth definitely comes out of a little bit of this unintentionally, I think. Um, But still, that that aside, because that's a different conversation. The ways in which babies connect to mom, that's where it starts. And that's where the research stopped. Uh, So we really just knew... Where does, uh, how does connection happen when it comes to optimizing young baby attachment da, 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 to just have a healthy human being later on? Cool. So late, much later on, 80s-ish, 
someone else was like, but wait, hang on though. Like, does this attachment thing, does, does this relate to, I don't know, adult relationships and dare I say adult love relationships? Spoiler alert, yes. So now we're learning a lot more about how does this idea of attachment can relate back to us as adults today. And the big picture here to, to sum this up is that we learn how to connect to other people because that's the whole idea of attachment mm-hmm. theory is our ideas of how do we do that. We learn to connect with other people from once upon a time. I use the term once upon a time to refer back in time, right? Like in this case, definitely childhood, early childhood. We learn how to connect uh, uh, once upon a time as like within the first year of life, like it's it's early on. So we have that that lesson that says, here's what it takes for me in order to feel comfortable, safe, secure, mm-hmm. and trust. That's the whole idea. Because these different ways in which we can get to uh, uh connect, secure attachment, anxious attachment, avoidant attachment, disorganized attachment, whatever, those clinical styles. Um, At the end of the day, just to demystify it, they all have the same thing in common. They all have the same outcome. And the outcome is, in order for me to feel safe and secure, this is how I've learned how to get there. Mm -hmm. I love how you put that, right? That this, you know, in, in seeing how they're all aligned, all these different attachment styles are aligned, that the goal is the same. How to get to that goal is different though, Yeah. right? Meaning that different relationship to relationships. Mm-hmm. And so I think I think what we do now is just is share a little bit of more information about what we mean by secure attachment, what we mean by avoidant attachment, what we mean by anxious attachment, of course, disorganized attachment too, okay? So one of the cool metaphors by Stan Atkins that, we we learned about is that secure attachment is like an anchor okay and what it, it in regarding like an anchor this is someone who is okay on their own right that if they'll say they're single that's okay right they they're feeling fulfilled they're feeling content in life things feel you know pretty good but they really do appreciate relationships too so like okay i know i just want to be on my own it's like oh I see relationships as enhancing my life, but not completing me. All right, and uh, and usually these are when when folks are more in the secure attachment, the anchor. It's that they they really don't have fragile relationships. They have pretty solid, pretty effective relationships, and they can offer support. They can put time and energy into maintaining a really healthy and effective relationship with not only partners, but also parents and, and peers, friendships. Okay. And they, they find usually anchors find it easy to open up in their relationships. Okay. So they are maybe okay with, with vulnerability with, mm-hmm. with another person. They're not uh, led by fear, what's going to happen if this person, you know, doesn't like what I share with them, mm-hmm. right? They might have moments of fear, but that that doesn't overrun them and how they participate in connections. And last but not least, they they're usually pretty confident. Anchors are usually pretty confident and optimistic about relationships, building relationships, right? And 
and uh, really, really feel as though relationships could be satisfying in your life. Any, anything I missed there, Jason? No, I, I think that's that's great. So uh, the other thing that I only that that I add here mm-hmm. in in uh, exploring this with with couples uh, and individuals is is that this whole idea of a secure attachment um, uh, or to borrow from Stan Tatkin, uh, he describes as a secure functioning um, uh, uh, or even to describe again by Stan Tatkin, this idea of, of an anchor um, is that sometimes this is what is known as the quote unquote gold standard, right? Mm. Is that this is probably where we, most of us would want to be. This is probably what we idealize. This is what we believe is what's, uh, what's expected of us. And then anything outside of this is going to be abnormal because this is the, what's expected is what's normal. What anything outside of that, you know, you're just a big old weirdo because of it. (laughs) Right. I mean, Let's be real. Like that's where the conversation goes. Either like the, the self talk uh, around these types of things. Like, what's wrong with me that I can't do what is seemingly easy? Because what you're basically saying, Carling, is uh, people need to just uh, be okay, have conversations, open up, uh, be willing to receive uh, uh, feedback from their partner, mm-hmm. but also be willing to give it. Like, in other words, people need to be able to talk freely. Easy. So if I can't do that. Of course, I'm a big old weirdo. There's something wrong with me. I'm broken in some way because I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think there's uh, potential areas of self-judgment if someone's struggling with that. There's judgment from others. Um, we're hoping not, but maybe judgment from therapists, right? Mm-hmm. At times, um, and yeah, this is this is something I see to work towards. But it, it's also okay if we're not totally there. And there's, there's barriers that get in the way of us being there potentially from once upon a time, like you say, Jason, of, ah, maybe I wasn't taught how to be this way. Maybe mm-hmm. I didn't have these connections. I've never had these connections. Maybe I've never seen these connections before. Yeah. Right. Maybe in a rom-com, probably not. <laughs> right. But just even thinking about systemically, where do we learn how to do this and how do we get out of our own way? Totally. So, so my invitation based on what you just said uh, Jason, to everyone listening, is is being kind to yourself. Or as therapists love saying that, but just that if you're not there at this like sort of goal standard, well, that's okay. But working towards that is, I think, a beautiful goal mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. And I think even to to sort of repurpose something that we had said earlier in this this episode, um, what we do as clinicians is meet clients where they are at. Mm-hmm. I would invite listeners to meet themselves where they're at. I love that. Right. Mm-hmm. So if where you are now is not at this quote unquote gold standard, that's cute. That's fine. Where are you though? And let's let's sit there for a second and really meet you there. Because if not, we're just going to be in this stuck place that it's going to continue to push suffering and just discomfort unnecessarily. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So if we go back to to attachment and the styles themselves for a second. So secure attachment is this picture of an anchor. The next one that we'll talk about just briefly so you can see where is it that I might be at is uh, known clinically as anxious attachment. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
mind you, we're just go- doing a brief overview of these different styles, right? Because there's a lot more in-depth stuff that we could go into. But for the purposes of this, we're just skimming the surface, right? So anxious attachment style. And if that just doesn't float your boat, that's totally fine. We're going with the real nautical theme here. So the the flip side of, of anxious attachment, if this may be better for you, is you're a wave. So mm-hmm. if you think of a wave uh, uh, at a beach, whatever beach that may be, then you might think that, uh, or you might see like in the distance, the water is sort of being a little bit uh, bumpy and rocky, but the closer that that happens to shore, you see the buildup of the wave. It, It becomes nice and tall and big until it crashes down onto the shoreline. And then it just goes right back into the ocean. And it's it's very cyclical in that nature, right? Mm-hmm. If you've ever been able to witness or, or see a wave in real life or even on YouTube. Um, so it, it's that idea of waves. So here's how that may translate as a person. So waves or those who have this anxious attachment style uh, are they take better care of others than they do uh, over themselves and just really thrive with connecting with others and need to talk with others in order to calm down. So there's this idea of, uh, uh, I'm not trying to say this in a critical or stigmatizing way, but there's this idea of uh, dependence on another person in order to be okay. And the minute that that other person goes away, (laughs) I'm not okay anymore. Come back, come back, come back, come back, come back, come back, come back. Right. Mm-hmm. So where, uh, how I like to describe this sometimes in, in sessions is that this is uh plastic wrap. This is a cling wrap. It's those people who just like really stick their, their talons in and they're just really, really clingy. So I feel like, Oh my God, give me a space. Ugh, just go. You're a little too much. You're hovering. You're this, you're that. Like, all right, cool. I wonder how much of a wave you are to come and, really crash all over me uh, as you then pull back. Does that make sense, Carly? I love, yeah, I love that imagery of the wave crashing over. And we we often see with, um, you know, waves that there might be a, a fear of being abandoned by a partner, by somebody else in life, right? That they might be holding that. And so that's why the, the sort of crashing, the clinger up happens, um, as well as fear of being alone, a lot of people who are waves, at least in this moment, are are very think that you know life will be complete if they're with somebody or if the mm-hmm. relationship is maintained. And often see that as a top goal for themselves is that yes, this must this must continue. So I'm going to wave over you so that I'm okay because I can't be okay on my own. Yeah, totally. So I think I think what what happens for um, waves is that they they might feel that heightened sense of anxiety in relationships. Right? They're they're not really uh, folks that avoid relationship or avoid closeness, but they want to get closer and closer and closer, right? And I think this is as a way to alleviate anxiety for waves from ooh fear of abandonment, fear of being alone. Mm-hmm. And many, many ways really uh, want assurance from the people they're close to in their life. Assurance that, hey, like, are we okay? Am I going to be okay? Mm-hmm. Right? And and some waves uh, are pretty vulnerable with feeling jealous, high degree of jealousy. Um, and can the relationships can be very up and down. 
as a result of jealousy and fear that the wave is holding. Yeah. Anything to add to that, Jason? I think this is that up and down piece just Mm -hmm. really helps to reinforce that picture of a wave, right? Because waves aren't just this big old thing that are static, right? There's a buildup to it Mm -hmm. before it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And then it comes crashing down where even the size of the waves themselves are dependent on other things, right? Because we're talking about under, not to get too into (laughs) bio and and marine life, because I mean, to be quite fair, I'm a therapist. That's, <laughs> not, that's a little bit out of my wheelhouse. But I would assume just that there's this undercurrent that factors into the the wave building, so to speak, in addition to um, these air aspects. So like how windy it is and so on and so forth. And you can see that like it, it influences what water does. And so these other variables are going to equally be in a relationship, um, uh, different emotions that may linger, different beliefs that may be there, different thought processes that are present and activated that might influence how how rapid are these undercurrents or how windy is is this day, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I love that. Yeah. And so, for, so from there, uh, uh, the next piece to this is is uh, the avoidant attachment style, right? Exactly. So if we've gone from uh, secure uh, attachment, which is the anchor, the anxious attachment, which is the wave, the avoidant attachment, uh, avoidant uh I think of words like dismissive. I think of words like uh, uh, walled up, barriered, uh, uh, so on and so forth. Keeping in in the same theme of this this whole nautical theme. So anchor, wave, avoidant is an island. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. The so, imagery of island really fits right in the sense of, you know, some characteristics of avoidant attachment. I'm okay on my own. Actually, no, I'm better on my own Mm -hmm. right and just thinking of the island in the middle of an ocean and just you know sort of may not maybe uh it might feel safe for the island to not be as easily accessed by other factors like boats Mm -hmm. right and uh and so some some of the characteristics we see with islands is needing to be on their own for you know calming purposes like if say something is going on in their life they tend to want, instead of seeking support from another person, it's almost like moving away from other people, mm-hmm. right? And uh, they they tend to be almost fearful or, you know, avoidant of closeness. That closeness with others feels overwhelming for islands. It feels like too much. And they can often feel intruded on by other people who desire closeness from them. Yeah. Any thoughts about that, Jason? I, I think it's it's very important to highlight with with avoidant attachment, avoidance as a behavior, um, needing to recognize that avoidance doesn't come uh, completely on its own. That it's it's influenced by other things, and if we're thinking quite simply, just without context, is that avoidance? If we're just, if we're talking about like step one, two, three, four. Avoidance is is the thing that you can see, and it's also step two. It's not step one. So the thing that comes right before avoidance, uh, and this I do go into in session, uh, is uh, an emotion, right? So a particular thing that's 
propelling avoidance forward in that emotion is fear or worry or anxiety, right? So for me, I use those words interchangeably to mean the same thing. Uh, but it's it's to this idea of I'm afraid, therefore I avoid. I'm worried, therefore I avoid. Uh, I'm anxious or feeling anxious, and therefore I avoid. Steps three and four are what help to complete this avoidance cycle that we go into. Um, So maybe as a side note, because I am mentioning it, here's what the avoidance cycle is. So avoidance cycle, it's the thing that helps to reinforce avoidance to continuously be there. And the goal here is to A, identify it, but then B, find ways to break the cycle. So it stops to self-reinforce. So the avoidance cycle, if we're thinking steps one, two, three, and four, uh, or actually five steps, let's say. So step one is something happens or you, it's an event is there to then go into two, three, four, five. So step two is uh, because of that thing, I'm making sense of that thing and it's it's making me feel afraid, worried, or anxious, okay? Now I feel uncomfortable. So I need to learn how to take care of that discomfort. So I'll take care of that discomfort by avoiding, by not talking to you, by uh, not breaking up with you by not quitting my job, by not mentioning my hurt, by whatever. I'm just not going to, I'm not going to, period. Following through with the decision of not going to takes us to the next step, which is, ah, that feels better. It's it's a lot more relieving. However, that relief is short term because then what happens in the next step is that the, the cost to short term relief is long-term anxiety growth. And then we go right back to the very beginning where something happens. I feel that same fear. Holy crap, that feels too much. I got to avoid it. Dodged a bullet until it it builds back up again and so on and so on and so on and so on. So I read once in in a study where uh, uh, this metaphor was used to, to describe the process that happens here. And and I like the imagery here is that when we're avoiding, you need to first recognize that what you're avoiding isn't the, the event itself uh, or the conversation or the, this or the, that, what you're trying to avoid is feeling what you're avoiding is the emotion. So here's the, the metaphor you do that. Cute. Have fun. Tell me when that works out for you because spoiler alert, it's just not gonna clearly because it comes back. So what the reason it comes back is because when you avoid the emotion, it's as if this emotion goes into the basement of your brain, works out a lot, and then comes back out twice as strong. Makes sense. That makes total right? sense. Absolutely. So that's that's the idea of, of avoidance, the avoidance cycle and finding ways to break it and, and so on and so forth. And that's very much what's going to be present here when we're talking about the island is, Carling, as you've said, it is uh, I can take care of myself. I can do it by myself. I need myself to calm down, which means if you go back in time, once upon a time, you tried to count on someone else and that someone else wasn't there for you in the ways in which you needed them to be. Mm-hmm. That someone else is going to uh, be a caregiver or an important figure in your life. Clinically, that's called your primary attachment figure. Mm-hmm. But that's the lesson that that you had learned is that you counted on them, on them, they let you down. And so you went, oh, shit, this hurts. This sucks. As a baby. Yeah, you swore. So you went, oh, shit, this sucks. Whew, okay, great. So clearly, I can't count on anyone else. So how can I make myself feel more comfortable? And then that gets reinforced 
because you then learned how to uh, be okay, feel secure, feel confident, because uh, that's what we're all after, right? And the way that you did that was by saying, I, I can't count on anyone. I can only count on myself. So let me build up this wall of defense and or rather, let me just really carve out this island for myself. And um, it's going to be so inaccessible that it's going to take a heck of a lot for anyone to try to swim to me or, or row to me or even or get to me because it's it's that remote. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and I think it's interesting what we we tend to see are people who are islands and people who are waves are sometimes really attracted to each other, end up in relationships, right? And that how, okay, someone might, the wave might become bigger and bigger and bigger because they want closeness, but the island is like seeing that as a tsunami. Totally. Right? And and how that can, it feels like uh, the tsunami is crashing over them and they want to get away from the tsunami because it feels like survival. And the more you get away, the bigger that tsunami and and so on and so forth. So this is really trying to uh, or starting to get to the interplay if you're in in a a two person relationship of what happens interpersonally, right, where you and I spend intentional time looking at that very piece when working with people is, yeah, sure, we'll we'll listen to your complaints and we'll listen to sort of how person number one let you down and really screwed things up and I can't believe you did that and vice versa and all that stuff. But we're paying attention to how you're approaching that conversation, right? Mm -hmm. Where uh, in the ways that you'll approach that conversation, you're really highlighting which one of these is uh, these different uh, metaphors, island, anchor, or wave, which one it is that you are. And it's interesting that they definitely feed into one another, where the more I pull away, the more you cling. And the more you cling, the more I pull away. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And how, you know, the cling and pull away uh, methods, I guess you could say, for, mm-hmm. you know, the the other attachment style is disorganized attachment, how one can be an island and a wave, Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't know, do you have any imagery to, to recognize that? Or do you think just the, the both and approach here for disorganized attachment? Do you have any other imagery that comes to mind? I mean, not not nautically. I think the only thing here that would make sense for disorganized because it is a both and um, uh, is maybe like a scribble because it's it's mm. a jumble of, of everything. Maybe a collage where you're putting picture on top of picture and it's it's this bigger thing where it's not one particular uh, uh, one defined characteristic but rather it's a little bit of both right Mm -hmm. where there's going to be times where I do cling and there's going to be times where I do pull away and so the the term disorganized attachment definitely comes from later research that that was done to say hey because if we go back in time when this was first being studied uh, with with babies uh, and mothers is that they had identified the three, right? They've only identified secure, avoidant, and uh, anxious in in the baby to then say, hmm, there's, there's, is that it? Because there's a few of these babies that just don't fit those criteria. And lo and behold, disorganized to say, hey, here's, here's a way to try to catch everyone at the same time. Mm-hmm. And and just to give some more insight in what it means in terms of disorganized attachment, uh, we see people 
really desiring that closeness, a really healthy connection, and that can be a really positive experience for them, but also comes with negative feelings like fear, you know, anxiety, sometimes doubt, and sometimes even self-hatred, like, oh, I can't make this work, or this isn't this isn't good, or I'm not gonna be good for that person. Right. And that's it's a very um, I want it, but it doesn't feel good to want it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Totally. And what we would uh, encourage everyone listening right now to do is as we've been talking through these different the different ways in which we connect, because if we go back to the question of the day of how do we uh, how do I know that I'm ready to commit or how do I know that I'm ready for a relationship? What are some of those signs is, well, first, how do you? do a relationship? How do you do commitment? Because that's going to help inform that larger question outside of these external and internal uh, expectations that we highlighted before, right? Like family, culture, gender, etc. Or like bio clock type of, of pressures, right? So as we've been talking about these different styles, we, we'd encourage you listening to think, which one sounds most like me? Mm-hmm. Am, I, am I an anchor? Hmm, I wonder. Am I a wave? Hmm, am I an island? Right? So as you're thinking about that, see if see if one resonates more or stands out more for you as a way to say, like, no, this one really captures who it is that I am. But then also push that a little bit further. Once you feel confident in that, you're confident-ish. If you're in a relationship, think, which one's my partner? Mm-hmm. Right. And then you might get a better sense of what is our dynamic. Mm-hmm. Right. So that way you do this little self-assessment where you just explore those those styles to then say, mm, OK, um, interesting. So here's where we're at, a.k.a. you're meeting yourself where it is that you're at, exactly what we would do. And then think of what will it take for us to move or even for me to move into a secure attachment style or a secure functioning relationship. Yet again, another term by Stan Tapkin. So what will it take for me to go from wave to anchor or from island to anchor? Or what are some things that help make that process uh, more likely for me? Any thoughts, Carly? I love that. And, And in addition to that is, let's say you're not in a partnership you're doing some self-assessment, you know, am I an island wave anchor? And also, who am I usually attracted to? Am I usually attracted to islands? Am I usually attracted to waves? Am I usually attracted to anchors, right? And, um, you know, and, and maybe aiming to be more attracted to anchors might be a good healing property and also becoming an anchor if you're not already, right? And and it's also cool to say, okay, so my partner is maybe more of a wave and I'm more of, um, you know, an island. How do we move towards a relationship that is an anchor relationship mm-hmm. too? And oh, the way I, I support clients in doing this is, what are you afraid of? If we look at, you know, the basics of, of the island and the wave scenarios, it's usually infor- reinforced and and informed by Fear. What are you scared will happen if you get too close? What if? What are you scared will happen if you're too distant? Right? What are you scared of if you're alone? What and if you? Yeah, sorry, keep going. Just, go ahead. Can I, can I just interrupt here because I think 
I think it's very valid and important to have those questions and that conversation with yourself. And at the same time, uh, you need to not judge your answer because I, when I ask these questions of clients, I often get met, not always, but just sometimes get met with, well, nothing. I know nothing bad's going to happen. I'm like, well, well that, look, that's not true. I'll, I'll, I'll call BS on that right now because if that were true, you wouldn't be feeling this. Mm-hmm. So it's it's sort of that the tension between my head is saying one thing, but my heart is saying another. So mm-hmm. don't in this case, don't listen to your head because that's going to be really logical, right? Which logically, no, nothing's going to happen. Sure. If logically nothing will happen, then let's justify the emotion. So let's listen to your heart for a second. If your heart were to answer that question, what would it say? And spoiler mm-hmm. alert, it's going to be something big and dramatic. <laughs> That, that was my two cents. I, I love that you, you, you said that. And what also comes up for me is what we talked about, trying to, trying to assess this stuff from a non-judgmental standpoint. Fear doesn't mean weakness, by the way. No. I think our culture really hits that where it's like, okay, yeah, if you're afraid, ooh, like you're a baby. Mm. Uh-uh. That's not how we see it. Right. And so really tuning into your heart, not your logic, I think is incredibly important when you're assessing this and communicating with your partner on this too. Fear doesn't mean weakness. Fear means that you're alive. Thank you. You're a human. Uh huh. And it's a part of the human experience. If you say I'm I'm never feel for fearful, sorry, then it's like, okay, so you're saying I'm never human. Yikes. Totally. Mm So Jason, is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners as we're approaching the wrap up of today's really amazing, you know, conversation about attachment, Mm -hmm. anything in terms of last thoughts here for you? So I I think we could definitely go into a lot more depth into this because I mean, as clinicians, we, you and I both privilege an attachment lens, Mm -hmm. AKA we think like this whenever we work with people. Uh, And this is something that we're on the lookout for. So um, what my, my closing thoughts here would just be uh, in listening to this conversation and trying to really think for yourself, am either A, am I ready for a relationship as a single person? Uh, and what will it take for me to know? B, uh, am I ready to commit to uh, another? And typically commitment comes with uh, marriage in mind, right? Whether that, that's not always true for everyone, but Typically, that's what comes up, right? So am I ready for marriage? Am I ready uh, for a relationship? Am I ready for commitment? We would, again, just to reinforce, really think about how is it that you show up to these relationships? In what is it that you bring with you? None of it will be negative per se. Just know what do you have access to and how do you want to choose to to show up differently. So I'm really highlighting intention here, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're, I don't know, let's say, because we said the the gold standard is an anchor, but let's say you're a wave or an island, that doesn't mean you're screwed. And it doesn't mean you're just you're completely SOL or shit out of luck for those of you who don't know. So that's not what it means at all. It means you're recognizing where it is that you are right now, because there are ways in order to and things that you can do either on your own or in a relationship to move towards the version that you want to be when it comes to being committed in a relationship in whatever ways that means for you. Mm -hmm. Right. Carling, any thoughts? 
No, I, I love what you said. And, and just to add to that is um, almost what is taking the lead? Is it the part of me that has fear that's taking the lead? Right. Especially if you're noting that you're more of a wave or an island and that might be a good direction and working on within yourself. How do I make sure it's my heart, my authenticity that's taking the lead rather than my fear? Right. Totally. Mm-hmm. And I think to this, what we'll do is we'll add um, a few resources in the show notes or the description of this episode. Um, a few that we'll mention now is if you're wanting to read up a little bit more on attachment or what to do or whatnot, uh, we have a few book recommendations. We'll list them in, in the description again, but uh, uh, to let you know now, if you don't want to go look uh, later on, first book that I think is a really good one to break down what attachment theory is and sort of gives you steps to what to do uh, if you can identify a dynamic. It's a book called Attached by Amir Levine, uh, A-M-I-R Levine, L-E-V-I-N-E. Another two books, both by Stan Tatkin. Um, uh, If you wanted to learn more about this whole anchor island wave thing, uh, same sort of idea. It's still attachment, just different language. The book is called Wired for Love. Uh, by Stan Tatkin, T-A-T-K-I-N. Uh, another book of his, if you're in a committed relationship and or you're engaged and you want to really know a little bit more about what it means to be married and conversations to have, a really good book to, to get into is called We Do by Stan Tatkin. Mm, love that. Thanks, Jason. Mm-hmm. And if you want to continue the conversation, definitely connect with us on social media. So you can find us on Instagram at Relationship Matters Therapy and, of course, on Facebook for Relationship Matters Therapy Center. And, hey, if we haven't answered your questions yet about attachment uh, or commitment, right? You might be left wondering for some more. Well, if that's the case, you can check us on our monthly Ask Us Anything series that's live on Instagram of the last Saturday of each month at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Okay. And uh, what you can do is submit your question anonymously on the link in our Instagram uh, bio. So check us out there or our website at relationshipmatterstherapy.com. And yes, go ahead, Jason. Yeah. So without further ado, we have all of that information and and we're accessible in so many different ways. Uh, So please do check us out. If you have sort of podcast episode suggestions for us or would like us to touch base on something, uh, again, connect with us on on social media or even uh, send us a quick little email, admin at relationshipmatterstherapy.com. But with, uh, with all that being said and done, until next time, everyone. Enjoy improving your connections and enhancing your relationships. Take care.